0: I, I mean, I just think he looks like the dude from um, Adventure Brothers, the one who's a like, friends with the uh, deleted Quiz Boy, whose name I can't I can't remember right now. Anyway, if he's not albino, definitely his like his persona is a lab rat. That that was such a weird question. I mean, like what particular what particular things has Trump done that would make you think he's a racist? And I'm just like, motherfucker, we are two years into this, right? Can we get over this hump of having to constantly qualify our statements about you know what does and doesn't make Trump a racist?
1: right is is like do we have to qualify if we say he's a liar or is this is this what we're going to do it's we have you know the the ability to observe in some capacity what's been happening around us we we can like it it's ridiculous to make us qualify these things at this point It's one thing if it's in a conversation amongst people you know you there's things that you haven't heard of, but these are professionals that are well versed in all the things that have been happening over the last uh couple years for years, even then. And I mean, obviously Cooper from longer than that. So, I mean, I, I guess he's trying to appear like a neutral journalist. Is, is that maybe the gig or the gag? I don't know. Is Maybe that's it.
0: I don't know. I mean, let me, to be frank, I think the two are kind of related the inability to call Trump a liar and the inability to, you know, to just outright call him, you know, if not a racist, cause I think there's going to be some, I think we should sort of unpack that term a little bit, not to sure. borrow a little bit of like of the, the what the kids are saying now, unpacking things, kids love unpacking things, uh, but like definitely a bigot like he's a vocal like he's vocally bigoted you know and so and he barely manages to couch his language in like the language of coded racism the same way other republicans do so it, like it's hard to understand you know i think from the outside going like two years in why people have this still have this hard time like oh yeah trump is a liar trump is a racist you know and not in just like the cute everyone's a little bit racist way but like you no know, he's actually vocally a bigot and you know more or less constant more or less a neo-fascist yeah um,
1: and and i mean i feel like he's unashamedly bigoted and not and race falls into the many ways that that it gets you know acted out but uh definitely i feel he's made it clear he has disdain or uh, you know Lack of any sort of respect for a lot of people's uh, thoughts, regardless of whether they're more qualified or more informed about a particular topic. But that also manifests itself in lots of, as you said, racist rhetoric or, you know, dog whistles and even more overt things than dog whistles.
0: Well, it's very clear he views certain people from certain populations as subhuman. Right, Right. like like, I think he's used that language before. Definitely, he's used that language before in this particular border debate that's been going on. Maybe not this specific, this specific shutdown, but prior to it, when discussing the wall and why we needed, why we needed one. And I guess even Donald Trump Jr. recently referred, you know, made (laughs) the zoo analogy. So I mean, there's just very little that's more racist than referring to people of other races as being subhuman. But I was going to say, you know, I think. The actual the inability to call him a racist as well as the inability to call him a liar is indicative of the, of the same kind of albatross our media has when it comes to, I don't know what it, I you should call it like being being not neutral. And in this case, not only like being not neutral, but being impolite, being perceived as impolite Mm -hmm. by uh, the the outside public, right? Because at some point you have to call a spade a spade, Uh, but being accused of being impolite and by a breaking propriety by the Republican Party, right? And so like, like the, the entire the entire existence of the pinocchio system which is the dumbest most childish bullshit speak system that we have where instead of just saying oh this person's a liar he said a lie and we can sort of unpack why it's a lie but like it's, it's just she's lying like it's it, it, it's it exists to a not use only to not use the word lie which is would be sort of a rude thing to accuse somebody of but also to kind of and still, be able to assume the moral righteousness of whoever said the lie. We're like, well, maybe that person's just mistaken. You know, maybe he is. Like, maybe <laughs> he just thinks that. Uh, maybe he just thinks that Mexicans are all rapists, and I don't know, or Mexicans commit more crimes. Uh, but that that constitutes, a, a, you know, four Pinocchios out of five, and you know, so like, it's not clear if he meant it, but it's definitely not true. It's like, okay, what?
1: Right, where what are we supposed to even do with that? Like the the, the the intentional misrepresentation of the facts, or, the, or even the unintentional, uncorrected immediately. If if the media realizes it before the person who says it, that's devastating.
0: Well, yeah, and I mean, I think people have been getting on Alexandria Ocasio Cortez for her like her few. She occasionally misspeaks to varying degrees. You know, I don't know if she's, if she's mm-hmm. outright lying. You know, that's after I, I really don't care at some point, but like she misspeaks on certain facts to varying degrees. Sometimes she, it's just like it's a slip of the tongue where she, where you misnamed three branches of the government, which can happen to anybody. Uh, you know, and sometimes it's just like getting the facts or numbers wrong about something. But I think she made a very good point when she was sitting down with Anderson Cooper, mm-hmm. where she was saying essentially that, you know, some people, when he confronted her by having quote unquote fuzzy math as like, the Washington Post accused her of and then like she they gave her what two or three Pinocchios like fuck you dude <laughs> it's like okay I'm an adult <laughs> call me a liar and lick my ass I don't care um Right. where like she was like some people are more concerned with being semantically correct than they are being morally right and i think that's a that's a 100 true and very powerful statement oh that was just like mm-hmm. something and i was like but i think that she's incorrect in in the way that she's incorrect or rather she's not fully correct in the way she frames that that she does herself a disservice right where it's like it's not though so there is this sharp dichotomy between being semantically correct and being morally right with our political system there instead it's just like some people specifically centrist and I would argue more the mm-hmm. democratic party brand of centrist And the media brand of centrist than like the Republican party brand of centrist which tends to be more for, a lot more far right um are much more like like their morality the morality of their ideology and like and how they perceive themselves is in, in some ways entirely derived from being semantically correct that's what makes them technocrats right so much of their, self-perception of their goodness comes from that being semantically correct from having the numbers entirely. Right. Even when no one really fucking cares. Right. And Mm -hmm. I don't think that we should be moving or even advocating for some sort of like post-fact society, even though I disagree with that framing. But I think that to pretend as though politics has always played out in this kind of weird, hyper-rational way where people were only concerned with the facts and never with, you know, emotional, Manipulation or emotional components, or you know, even sort of emotional appeals, is completely ridiculous, right? And I think only the Democrats and their aligned punditry find themselves kind of clutching on to this idea that solely facts matter, right?
1: Well, and I think part of that was because it's wrapped up in the elitism that that protects them, that like only they had the capabilities and the skill sets needed in order to. To manipulate and understand that information, and then relay it to the lay people in the population, so that they could understand it in a way that actually they could apply to their lives. And so, like this, this concept of you know the media and these pundits and the, these politicians controlling the facts, and that you know that if you get a source, it's from them. And, and you know, so the internet, the and somewhat of the democratization of information, has somewhat circumvented that and we've seen it play out in twitter with uh, you know writers in uh, major publications that tweet bad articles out or you know write bad articles and the and the pushback that before would have just been people maybe yelling at a screen or yelling at a paper but now it's them you know adding them and that You know, them calling them a schmuck or whatever is getting 150 likes more than the article that they tweeted out. And so they know that it's showing up in their timeline and that they're getting this kind of feedback in a way that they haven't gotten it before. And they're clutching to that to that power that that they had. And you can see them trying to wall themselves off in different ways, I think, is one of the ways we've seen that play. out. First
0: of all, I can't have you bullying uh, media professionals on this show. Uh, Richard, I, I can't have you bullying Crystal. I can't have you bullying people who make, uh, you know, $800 million a year. Which are foul language, but no, I mean, I would even say I dispute the the definition of facts that they're using. And I don't mean that in some sort of weird postmodernist way, because there's like there's facts like gravity is a fact. Like, okay, um, the gravity is an inter- is a sort of a heuristic for the you know the natural force or natural phenomenon that holds two massive bodies together in space, or rather attracts two massive bodies together in space. And then there's like facts, quote unquote, like. The deficit is a problem. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. and like, and that's not really so much as an objective fact, you know, quote unquote, that exists out there without need for a human interaction or that's just like a myth that people started to agree upon, right? Right. And it's just like mm. when You treat it as a fact when, You know And that's why I, I disagree With her framing of it Like okay well This is a battle Of morals Versus semantics Or rather Morals versus facts When really what it's like it's a big, Politics has a huge Moral component Like it's always Going to be a battle Of like morals And facts And who can tell The most compelling narrative You know Relating to both Their morals and facts It's like shit Honestly You know like What people are describing As facts a lot of times Is just like The hegemonic Concerns of neoliberalism they're like okay well mm-hmm. it's a fact that the public sector has to be run like a business oh it's a fact that we have to be worried about the deficit in a the debt because well if you were in debt as a person or if you're or if my company was in debt or a deficit that'd be a real big problem it's like well yeah okay but you know the the government's not a company, dude. The government is not a two-parent household where you know where that pulls in one hundred twenty thousand dollars a year and have to pay taxes. The government is not—it's is like, not analogous to those things, right? But, uh-huh. but right. that's treated; those things are treated as facts because, largely speaking, there's bipartisan agreement to them, right? But fifty years ago, caring about the deficit wasn't a fact. No, more or less 50, fifty years ago, it wasn't a fact. Like that was a, that was a manufactured consensus that people are now treating like facts. You no, know, and it's treated like common sense. And like, this is, and this is about, again, like, I would say what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Bernie Sanders are much better at doing than the Democratic Party is good at doing, which is debating yeah. the core beliefs, or rather the core, what we consider to be facts about our society. That you have to be concerned about the deficit. That, that the government has to be run like a business. That there isn't enough money. Like, for example, like, people constantly pretend like Social Security is running out of money. Well, like, will be insolvent in, what, 20 years or some shit? Uh, and that's not, like that's not a <laughs> fact. It's like, like that's like that's an interpretation of data that puts artificial boundaries around other parts of the information which is essentially well if you just raise the cat it'd be solved forever
1: and, the, and there's a variety of like, I mean, that's one approach and they've, it's been talked about several different types of way, but the, I think that's a really excellent point uh, that the the facts that they're wielding aren't necessarily facts. And then even sometimes when they, when they're using particular statistics, they're getting them from sources that are rather unreliable. You know, one of the big ones that comes to my mind was just over the last you know 10 20 years uh, the how police have interacted with uh, black people in the streets you know uh, we had rodney king which was one of the first major televised you know uh, situations where they caught this interaction on on tape but uh, black people in communities across the country had experienced things like that uh, too many times to count. And instead, you know, whenever, you know, liberals at that time, uh, Democrats or whatever, would argue about, you know, how are we going to handle this issue? They would refer back to, you know, FBI statistics. And we came to know throughout the uh, 2010 and beyond that uh, those statistics aren't reliable at all. Like we had no idea how many people cops were killing because only some of them were reporting and it wasn't mandatory. So we don't even know if the ones that were reporting were reporting all of them. And so it, beyond just the 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 not facts facts, there's the, you know, disreputable facts because they come from unreliable sources. And then there's just the outright rhetorical manipulation that we see and how the, sometimes uh, questions or uh, like you said, uh, something like the debt is framed. Yeah.
0: I think that comes down to the Democratic Party's me- particular method for arguing supremacy, right? And this goes back to the like, idea yeah, yeah, like people are so <laughs> more concerned about being semantically semantically correct than they are about being morally right, right? They're more are like, they, the Democrats are essentially Ted Cruz. Yeah, like, t- yeah but, I mean, uh, yeah, but the Democratic Party is more concerned with, like, having, you know, with, with their own, you know, personal wonkery and drawing moral righteousness from that than they are with any kind of outcome. And in mm. doing that, you know, sort of accepting the logic of neoliberalism and sort of trying to frame the supremacy of your party as a sort of byproduct of your ability means test and get all the numbers right and be incredibly, incredibly nerdy, like, you lose people, right? And this is not to make a statement that we, sh- we shouldn't be fact-checking people. No, we shouldn't be fact checking uh, Trump's lies because it's not effective, or we shouldn't be fact checking Alexandria Ocasio Cortez about her numbers, or we shouldn't be fact checking anybody, right? They, that there's a that
1: or, or descend into like bumper sticker slogans and and just write off all of the nuance that needs to be dope, like looked at closer. Course, no, I mean,
0: it's just it's just to say that that's like that's not the primary mode by which you can engage in politics. Like, it simply mm-hmm. it's, it's not the primary mode by which you can you can. Argue for the supremacy of your party. It's like solely on the ma- solely on the back of like, quote unquote, objective facts. Because most people live their life experientially. Like they like they live their life mm-hmm. through, um, you know the the lens of their own personal biases. And so you have to craft compelling narratives that speak to those experiences and that take into account those biases. And otherwise, you are going to find yourself like constantly trying to fact check your way out of the concentration camp. You know, essentially, they like, oh, well, right, like that speaks to the fundamental flaw with Elizabeth Warren's DNA test, right? That she tried to respond he to probably- bullying with sort of like facts and science. Trump called her a slur, and she said like she came back with a doctor's note.
1: It's like, yeah, thinking that, that that was gonna that was gonna you know shut him down, and she was gonna get a check from him for the results. Like like
0: Trump called her a nigger, and he came and she came back with a fucking doctor's note. It's saying that, as like, saying that actually she's a mulatto. And it's like, what? It's <laughs> like, no, like no one thinks like that. Like, you know, like no one, like no one, like no one, but like a very small portion of the population find themselves entirely sort of smitten with the idea of being so intellectually superior that their brain can barely fit into their own fucking body. Right. But I will say like that, like that's been the primary mode or rather it's been like the primary sort of like political method of the Democratic Party for the past like 30 years. Right. That they're just so intellectually superior than Republicans, even though they keep losing, you know, that that was always the funniest thing about like, I don't know, living under Obama or living under like like the past maybe. 10 or 15 years where like, like this constant narrative i would argue this ascriptive narrative that the democratic party was more morally righteous and smarter than the republicans for a variety of reasons you know most of them have nothing to do with actual intelligence but like at least market of intelligence and yet they were just constantly losing but for like their rank and file voter that was like that was enough it's like being viewed as yeah. being viewed as like the smart party was much better than being viewed as the effective party.
1: Right. And and it, we see it manifest in so many like so many different ways uh, between the dynamics between Democrats and Republicans and in their interactions with each other. Like they they seem to be able to see the other side's, uh, you know, de- delusion or like, you know, mis- misunderstandings or, you know, ignorance and like the failure, you know, they look at Trump and it's like, Oh, look at how he failed here. Look how he's failing here. But then you turn them back towards, towards their party and they can't seem to find any of the failures. It's just nothing but winning back here. it's like, Oh, but we're, we're tired of winning, but it's not the same kind of tired of winning that they are over there on the Trump side. And, uh, I think a lot of people, both that, you know, find themselves politically somewhere in the middle, like switching like between the two, and then people that find themselves outside of that argument because they're not arguing about issues that affect them in positive ways anyway, mostly just uh, threats from their perspective. Uh, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's just like, well, wait a minute. Like, look, at, look, look, at Democrats are trying. They're, they're trying to get a barrier. They've been trying to get a barrier. You look at Chuck and Nancy's speech. It, it was full of border security and all sorts of negative rhetoric about, you know, what's happening at the border in general. Nothing about the children that are suffering or the people that are actually suffering. And that's. A, we're supposed, you know, people are supposed to be standing for <laughs> Nancy and Chuck uh, uh, instead of, you know, looking at them like the American Gothic p- painting, like a lot of uh, people. Have okay, fine. So
0: you, you want to talk about the You want to talk about the Trump, the Trump, um, the Trump speech, right? His uh, sort of like weird neo-fascist, uh, Oval Office sweaty speech. So you, you watched it. What are what your thoughts? So let's get let's get some let's get some first initial thoughts.
1: I mean, he's always awkward when he reads the speeches that I don't know where that ranked in in the awkwardness of reading speeches, something about being in the Oval Office kept him very on on prompter. He only I think, you know, did his embellishing rep, uh, repetitions uh, once or twice throughout it that I noticed. And uh, you know, it was uh, fear-mongering. It was, think about how scary all those uh, people at the border are and uh, how you don't want them coming and, you know, savaging and, and, you know, doing all sorts of evil things to your families. And so the Democrats are just going to let them do it. And so then the Democrats, or uh, I just briefly want to say, then the Democrats come back with, oh, no, you know, we're scared too, but we just want to do it smart. Yeah, we have a kind of... But, you <laughs> know, they want to use wield the right facts right we have a kindler,
0: gentler uh border security we're gonna put we're gonna put the, we're gonna right. put an in before ice and make it nice <laughs>
1: <laughs> that that's that's the democrats abolish ICEs. we're gonna throw an in in front of make it nice we're gonna, throw, we're gonna, throw an
0: N. We're gonna put throw an in in front of ice and make it nice and you know we're gonna throw i don't know like what what what, what, what stuff is can you put before concentration
1: camp before make you know
0: to make, to make it sound less terrible,
1: uh, I mean, maybe add ball pit to the end. I don't yeah, know. We'll,
0: we'll, we'll, throw, we'll throw a ball pit into that. We'll throw a ball pit in like a McDonald's at a McDonald's outlet into that, that baby concentration camp, it'll, it'll be fine. It'll ultimately, it'll be fine,
1: right? And you know, we'll hire them at the McDonald's, and that'll be their transition program. It'll be beautiful, wonderful program. It, it'll be great, <clears throat> like that i mean like so that's i mean that's a Democratic solution, i mean i'll on. be
0: honest like the, the speech was exactly what i expected it to be right i mean i think if you have any sort of passing familiarity with like neo-fascism mm-hmm. and neo-fascist rhetoric uh the speech was like point for point neo-fascist rhetoric right and by that i mean it does the thing that neo-fascists especially european neo-fascists always do which is Sort of frame. Well, I guess I'll move step by step. You know, it takes the domestic mm-hmm. decay that we are experiencing now as a result of like globalism and neoliberalism and the ex, you know, expatriation of jobs exactly. and post-industrial malaise and just basically sort of the outflux of you know jobs from America to the global south for cheap labor and the influx of cheap labor from the global south, you know, to essentially drive down wages, etc. And it takes that. And it correlates it with this increase in migration from the global south, right? And then it says, okay, well, you see, that domestic decay that you're experiencing is a result of the influx of immigrants. They're taxing our system, they're taking our jobs, they're killing, you know, they're killing our wives and children. And, you know, mm-hmm. like, and so, like that—that's like that's the cause of all your problems. Like these problems that I, you are identifying in your community, they're being caused by this influx of migrants. Like refugees from the global south are not victims of global of globalism. They're not victims of neoliberalism. They're not victims of neoconservatism. They're actually agents of those things, as well as agents of sort of domestic decay. You know, like they—they're coming in to basically weaken our republic by bringing in their sort of, you know, essentially their deviant ways, right? Drugs, uh, STDs, uh, you know, sort of basic, basic forms of deviance. They don't speak English. And, you know, like that particular sort of confusing of course like of causation or correlation is classic neo-fascism because the, obviously the sort of the, the intervening variable there is neoliberalism, right? It's it's, it's capitalism, it's neoliberalism, it's globalism, it's, it's, it's reckless neoconservatism that destabilizes so many nations in the global South and forces migrants to come out. It's climate disasters in the global South that are caused by rampant uh, pollution. You know, and what, what strikes me about it, right, is that, and it's something that strikes me, that always strikes me about these, like, sort of neo-fascist talking points, or even just, like, racist talking points, that it's so hard to dispute the basic facts of them if you, believe, if you can't identify neoliberalism as a cause. Like if you like if you can't identify mm-hmm. like the cause of these pro- the cause of this widespread alienation, the cause of post industrialism, the cause of all like all this, this sort of is not immigrants, it's widespread austerity, it's widespread deregulation, it's widespread um sort of devaluation of our communities and it has led to a migrant engine population and divestment from essentially rural areas to sort of urban centers. Like if you can't identify those things as the problem, it becomes very hard to dis. The facts, you know, go back to the, that in fact, it becomes very hard to dispute the basic morality of the argument if you're sort of if you agree with kind of the the sort of the tenets of neoliberalism. By that I mean, say, like, okay, well, <laughs>
1: well I, the reason I just quickly is like the reason why I laugh is just because I, I took some highlights out from the the Democratic response and one of the themes was they use this phrase, the fact is, and one of the facts is the fact is on the very first day of this Congress, House Democrats passed Senate Republican legis legislation to reopen the government and fund smart effective border security solutions and it's like they go on it's like the fact is we we all agree that we need secure our borders right
0: frankly the, the border is a moral argument not like not even like but it, no, hold on it's a fact though no, it's a fact the border is, the border is no surprise and this is not again this is not postmodern the border is not a fact the Rio Grande is a fact Right, it's a like, it's a reality, right. but you know, it's an actual geographic <laughs> yeah. location. A border is a moral argument. It's a moral argument that draws on the idea that people born within a very particular sort of segment of land are in fact better or have should have access to, or de- are deserving of more rights than other people, right? Like, like it's like it's not, an, it's like it's not a fact, right? And we can argue about whether or not borders should be opened or closed, right? We can argue about whether mm-hmm. like, you know how porous they should be to capital versus the people, but it's not a fact, right? And that's why that's why I say, you know, when you frame it as though, okay, well, this is a fact. And this is a moral argument. The fact is the border, and the moral argument is that there should be the free movement of people. say, oh like, well, no no, neither of those are facts, and neither of those are moral arguments. Both are. Like, you can make factual statements about both, and you're making moral claims about both as well. But one of those is hegemonic, right? The idea of the nation state is hegemonic mm-hmm. within our culture. Ie, it's common sense, it's something that you're socialized to believe in, but it's not a fact. You know, it's a, it's a categorization. You know, it's like okay. I'm a native mm-hmm. citizen. You're not non native citizen. It's, it's an in-group, out-group dynamic, uh, you know. And by nature of being a native citizen, especially when you talk about something like, you know, whether you're talking about multi-racial nationalism or multiracial populism, or like I don't know, smart border security, or who deserves to have access to what resources within the country, you're saying that you know, essentially, native citizens are more are more socially valuable to a particular you know country than non-native citizens. That's a moral argument. About like the the border mm-hmm. is, a, is a is a moral statement about people who belong to one to one country or another. You know you can you can sort of couch it. As, okay, that's a practical statement born throughout. I don't know legisl- not legislation, but various forms of uh treaties in conquer and like in conquests and wars. But it's not a fact, right? Like right. it's like a it's not like a fact. Like I don't know, gravity is a fact. It's like it's a fact. Like race is a fact.
1: It's a social mm-hmm. construct. Is what I mean exactly
0: but please go ahead what are your highlights from from uh, the american gothic ass response like whose idea was that it's like honestly oh. like who And it, okay so I, I i made the the joke that you know i'm glad that the leaders of the democratic party uh i'm to say joe biden uh bernie sanders and Alexandria Ocasio cortez were there to make their rebuttals to fucking trump's racism racism but like It didn't have to be those two. Yes, those are the two most popular left-leaning politicians in America, but like, there are younger, like, there are younger, more attractive, (laughs) more exciting politicians than like nancy pelosi and chuck schumer i understand that they're the speaker of the house and the you know the senate minority leader but like really what it looked like was the racist couple next door it's like was coming over like to welcome you despite the fact that you're minorities and like and really they're not been there to i they're really don't welcome you they're just trying to make sure you're not stealing the house actually that, that you actually bought it,
1: mm-hmm. like, like, that's what it around like. looking for pictures of your family like, are, oh are, you know like
0: are like are you our new neighbors like we've oh, been living here for 30 years and you're the first colored in in an
1: area <laughs> <laughs> i just it was mind-blowing yeah and i i get it fits right into what you were saying about you know wanting to be right on the facts you know it's like well uh the the people i don't remember who it was probably nate silver or something sweetened something along the lines of you know well people would be happy to have you know the the leaders instead of a backbencher there uh you know if trump really did call a state of emergency it's like if Trump's calling a state of emergency, those like I don't want to see those two. <laughs> like, that does not give provide me any comfort. I'm, I'm worried that they're going to freak out and like they, they're going to hit their bunkers and that's and, and there's going to be no leadership whatsoever left.
0: I'm not worried they're going to freak out. I, like, I'm worried, honestly, and I say worried, but I'm relatively sure that they're just going to cave. It's just like eventually right. they're going to cave. Exactly. Uh, really. More like I would maybe not to the whole five billion, maybe not to the entire wall, but to some facsimile of it. You know, to like to some yeah. to some version of funding.
1: Well, I mean, to to Democrats' credit, it's really not even caving. It's just getting what they wanted in the first place and blaming it on Trump. Oh, yeah. Like I mean, that's like that. The, the, to their credit, that was that was some clever manipulation to be able to turn a barrier that they wanted in, you know, smart border funding and all this stuff into something that that they're going to get. They're going to blame Trump, but they're going to call it a win. And then when Republicans try and say that they don't care about the border, they're going to point to, hey, look, I put all these lasers and drones up there. You can't say I don't care about the border. Like, it was clever, and they got Democrats defending it, saying, oh, well, you know, of course the Democrats, you know, voted for better border security. That's that's the only sensible action here in this situation. I mean, we can't just let the government stay shut down. But, I mean,
0: it's not so Democrats haven't been in favor of a wall in the past. Right. And so, I mean, so like, it's not entirely out of step with them. That's why I said yeah, – I was saying before, you, you know, you went to tell me your highlights of – of the, the Schumer Pelosi speech. It was like, you know, it's hard it's hard for a party that's so beholden to neoliberal values to to argue the like to argue against the morality of the wall. Right because yeah. if you accept like neoconservative and neoliberal values, it's like what can you really say when Trump says something like, Okay, they're coming to our country and they're taxing our system and they're taking jobs away from, you know, essentially Americans? Like, like, what, like, 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 what, like What's your response to that? Well, actually, immigrants provide the the, the typical liberal response like, oh, well, actually, immigrants provide a lot of money and resources. And, like, they, you know, like, essentially, uh, like, you know, we have immigrant doctors and they have all the, like, basically arguing for them on the grounds of, like, they are useful addition to society who will make money. We've
1: actually become quite adept at exploiting them and managing to make them thankful for it. So, you know, I wouldn't rule out the, the valuable contributions that immigrants can have to our system uh, <laughs> and, as we exploit them for our capitalist class continues. I mean, at the
0: same time, it's like but, but if you're, like, but if you're ingrained to think individually, then you are ingrained to, like, think of, like, Essentially, jobs, Mm -hmm. the job market, the social security, I'm sorry, the um, the social welfare state, the social security net, that's a zero-sum game. And I've made the same argument about things like affirmative action and even, I would say, gender disparity in pay. It's like, if you agree... So if you're not, like, sort of critiquing those those things, like, critiquing like, systemic racism and, like, the history of disenfranchisement and redlining, and, like, that's why we need affirmative action, and also critiquing the underlying mentality that, okay, well, we're all individuals, and one individual succeeding doesn't necessarily benefit me or anyone else, then essentially what, like, what actually is the argument for essentially for immigration or even for affirmative action or even for gender like getting rid of gender disparity other than like essentially a, a moral argument right you know i like, think we're talking about mm-hmm. like, now, like, we're talking about like it's unfair like it's un- like it's unfair that black people don't have the same access to jobs it's unfair that women aren't paid enough it's unfair that well i didn't even say that it's unfair that we've stabilized hundreds of nations in the global south and now we don't let them come here but really the, you know it's unfair to to not help refugees but really the more compelling argument for those things is a you know it's not a zero-sum game it's right you no know, it may appear to be a zero-sum game because you're conditioned to think of the world as though we're all in constant competition with each other and like you know if there's mm-hmm. if there's one job and two people go up, going up for it why would i want the person to get it above me it's like i think that people look at that particular argument but like i now like i've had you know, I've had white friends. And I do have white friends who have come to me, and they've gone like, you know, I have been passed up for a job, you know, because a place wants more diversity. And I, I'm like, okay, why are you telling me this? <laughs> it's just like, it's like, why, like well, okay, like, why are you like, I don't understand. Why are telling me this?
1: You got to make me feel better. You got to yeah. make me feel better. Like,
0: I, will, I will admit, like, the underlying logic of neoliberalism is like, okay, but like, look, that doesn't that doesn't benefit me. For me, the entire key to this debate is to dispel those central tenets that okay this is not about one person getting a boost up in a race this is a society and if we don't believe it or not believe it or not (laughs) and if we don't believe if like if we don't utilize one you know basically what how many black people are in america 13 (laughs) percent
1: yeah, like, if, we're, than, yeah
0: if we're not utilizing 13% of the population to their full to the fullest extent like if, it's, if they're not able to contribute to society to the fullest extent because like because of issues of racism and disenfranchisement, then that like that's like that's a net loss to society that's a net loss to everyone not only them like we're all we are, our entire society is negatively affected by racism right and I think that's such a that's yeah. such an argument people don't really make very often like the like the actual practical cost of racism like talking about facts it's like how much does mm-hmm. racism cost us? Like how much does like how much do do police shootings of unarmed un- un- black people cost taxpayers? You know Not how like, much? You know, how many like how many social services would we have right now? Like you know maybe arguably universal healthcare if it weren't for like implicitly racist narratives about like who's going to benefit from those from those particular things? How much? How much money does it cost the economy to have women paid, you know, 75 cents on a dollar? Or I don't know what is it actually, like what, like what people are, like, if that's 91 cents or when you adjust it for race, it doesn't make a difference, right? Like, like how much, like how much does that no. actually, with the, about the money multiplier effect and other sort of um, esoteric aspects of the market, how much does that actually cost society for those things to not be true? And the answer is a yeah. lot. But the way, it's, like,
1: even if you submit to the whole capitalistic model and all of that stuff, is like, and you're looking at it not from a, like just the, you know, the benefits of society, but the economic benefits of society, it's a huge economic loss, huge. In in, uh, go, I'll let you finish your point.
0: No, but that's that's really it. It's a huge economic loss. It's like so. This is not only about a moral <laughs> argument. This is about uh, this is about um, dispelling the central sort of Tenets of neoliberalism, dispelling the the central myths of that ideology, and not letting people get away with just assuming that it's real. You know, it's a "quote unquote" fact. And I end up just to go back to, you know, just go back to what I was saying about Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and the way she framed her response to answer cooper's question about like her having her math fuzzy it's just like no 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 we're not arguing like morality versus semantics we're arguing the morality of the social contract and the morality of let's say socialism broadly speaking or progressivism or the social welfare state or basically just the morality of human decency versus the morality of neoliberalism right the morality Mm -hmm. of the market the morality of sort of uh of walls. The
1: morality of neoliberalism is a fact the
0: morality of neoliberalism is a fact because it's hegemonic and also i would right. say what you know people frame it as a fact because if you actually mm-hmm. get to the morality of it it's there's a terrible morality there is a, it's a moral.
1: well and it becomes in it becomes self-indicting too it's not just in a system that you exist outside of it becomes well wait a minute i've reinforced and and you know uh Reproduce this system in the ways that I have and it's like, wait, that means I, I bear some sort of guilt and some sort of responsibility for this. Oh, you know, you know, making this make sense, making this seem like the rational, righteous thing to do seems like. A better thing than you know dealing with that i might be oppressing people in the global south or minorities in this country i might be responsible for being saying or doing racist things that help uh you know keep in place oppressive structures i i might have something to do with that whoa i'd rather rather than me thinking about having something to do with that i'd rather you know tweet the right you know social uh, you know uh, messages and put a sign out in the front yard and and be convinced by every media that I can and as many black people as we can pay to tell me that, uh you know I'm not doing that or if I am I'm really doing the best I can and they can't it's, it's not reasonable to expect me to actually really uh, attack these systems of oppression and to to recognize my role in them that that's that's a that's a bit too much
0: well exactly. treating, <laughs> treating things like I guess you call like neoliberalism or racism or sexism as though they are natural in common sense and sort of factual reality versus like moral like moral positions and ideological positions that have been given the given the lens of reality through indoctrination and socialization and just like essentially domination is it, it removes the 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 conscience from them Because you no longer have to think about okay well if people die under communism it's communism fault. if people die under capitalism well, capitalism is like is natural so you can't you can't blame capitalism for that right Mm -hmm. it's like it's just natural because because, frankly speaking if you can like the like because it's so naturalized because it's viewed as so common sense and just the way things are it's like you're not you can't make the argument okay well essentially like you know, when you do things that, like in the name of capitalism, like when you refuse to, you know, make universal healthcare because you might, dis, you know, you might destabilize the market, or you might cause X, Y, Z to happen. Like you're making a moral judgment. You're making a moral decision that the market, a sort of an esoteric, ethereal thing that doesn't really exist, you know, essentially the free market that doesn't really exist, is somehow more important to people's lives, and no one wants to hear that. It's like, mm-hmm. like none of like none of the main proselytes of well, not say none, but most of the main proselytes of capitalism, you know, or neoliberalism don't want to hear the actual like material consequences, the actual like human cost of their ideology, of their blind adherence to that ideology. What they want to do is they want to pretend as though those things are quote unquote reality, and therefore they can be absolved of any kind of moral moral. Any sort of argument of moral fit upon um, moral uh, lacking for supporting them.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and we see that manifest in a variety of ways, uh, particularly in US foreign policy. In like, uh, you see people, you know, claimingly of the left, you know, whoa, whoa, wait, you mean we're leaving this country and, and we're not going to bomb it anymore? Are we sure that's the right idea? Are we sure we shouldn't have more troops there? Is, are you sure that they're, they're going to be. They're going to be okay without us because we've always made things better when we came, uh, and, and like and what we do there always makes it better for when we leave. Right, that, that's just how we work. That's U.S. foreign policy, and it's just. Uh, see, because of Trump being so far to the right, it's gotten so many uh, liberals uh, arguing in in favor of uh, foreign policy that that's to the right, because, as you said, the hegemonic uh, prescription of society has given us a a framework that says, well, we we, if we're not there, there. I I remember hearing this from several different people on the left that basically if we're not there, they're going to attack us here. And it's like, did you just hear yourself? Did did you really just hear what you're saying? <laughs> well, I, would, I
0: mean, well just interrupt I would say that's that's one of the intrinsic problems with the, the like the political spectrum that we people we use. Right. And that's sort of like childish like four box uh of a, you know, sort of, uh, you know basically what sixth grade math xy axis test that has like liberalism and libertarianism and fucking socialism and anarchy all over the place like the, fa- the the failure of that thing is that it fails to account for how many sort of what we would consider to be traditionally what people mistakenly consider to be traditionally right-wing perspectives or per, or basically opinions or biases are actually just hegemonic right like racism yeah. like racism isn't a Failure of the right in America. It's a it's a, it's a structural thing. I think it's something that we're yeah. All so
1: that's that's what kind of matters about it being Democrats and Republicans and the switch and all that. And like in Chicago, when Hampton was killed, is like black people voted for a Republican because a Democrat was the was the attorney that helped orchestrate the whole thing. So it's like. It, The hegemonic beliefs that we have—it's weird how fast things can become hegemonic. Uh, One that comes to my mind is, you know, boys in blue, girls in pink. Is that—that's not something that existed more than about sixty years ago. That that was something that just came about, and now you can ask people, and they'll just like people that lived through that change will tell you it's always been that way. That's how like that's how hegemonic and how fast these things can happen. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's 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 natural. It's common sense. It's common sense that boys wear blue and girls wear pink. I like, think that, that, that's just common sense. Like that's that's why every gender reveal party ends with like someone getting shot now, <laughs> like, uh, for some right. for some reason, you know, setting like,
1: a far, four line blaze and shit.
0: Yeah, it's just like well, setting like, setting a fucking forest fire if it's a girl, <laughs> and like shooting <laughs> shooting all the guys, shooting all the male guests if it's a dude. Like that's like that's how every gender reveal party ends now. But you know, I mean, and it's like it's just one of those things, right? Like where it's like it's easy to fall into the trap of going, oh well, okay, neoconservatism is actually a failure of the far right. It's an ideological position of the right. And people don't succumb. People on the left are immune to it, Like not they have a response to it, not they have Mm -hmm. sort of, the tools and methods and language to describe it and its failures, but they just don't succumb to that kind of thinking, you know, implicitly or subconsciously or, or reactionarily. reactionarily. Like they don't suffer from that particular kind of thinking. But we but we see it all the time. It's like the idea that America is safer or that the world is better when America occupies every other country is not. It's not only a belief of the far right, you know. Whether how far you're willing to push that. Might different, like might be different depending on where you are on that spectrum. But the idea that, like you know, that America is safer and better when it's enforcing its borders and you can't have open borders, and you because that would do something, you know, it would it would, de- it would somehow destroy our society. You can couch it in what you want, but really, it's a, it's a more of a moral argument. About, like it would just make America weaker. It'd make the left weaker. It'd make America weaker. You know, moving right from moving out of foreign countries somehow makes America weaker. And ultimately speaking, that particular aspect of it is not not right-wing or left-wing. It, it's, you know, it's, it's just, it's everywhere. Same with racism, same with sexism, but a lot, but, you know, part of, part of what the move in the 90s did to make everything more individualism and less sort of structural was it gave groups and people various ways to inoculate themselves in their own minds and, you know, in public from accusations of succumbing to more hegemonic problems in America. Like racism. It's like okay, well, I'm a Democrat, so I can't be racist. Well, actually, you mm-hmm. know, Democrats are racist, but I'm a socialist, so I can't be racist. Or I'm a socialist, so I can't be, you know, I can't be supporting imperialism because I, I recognize that that to, that to be a flaw of the far right and of the Democrats, but they, it can't be a flaw of me too by nature of what I believe. And so it's like it, it becomes a, it becomes hard to unpack these things because people are so inclined to think of themselves in ways that don't allow for it. They, that they don't, yeah. uh, don't allow for their mean safe.
1: Yeah. I mean, for me, it just, I, I had to, you know, it was basically, uh, I'm black and I realized I have some, like a lot of anti-blackness and racism just lingering in me. And it, that becomes awkward and, and like, and you develop self-loathing and like all sorts of weird things. It's like I got confronted in society several times with my blackness and like, it was just like, Oh, okay. I mean, like no matter what I think of myself or how I think people see me as like, I'm still black, and that still means something in society. And it's like sometimes I see black people, and I think that, oh shit, you know, I gotta, I gotta think about that and what that means. And it's like, uh, I guess a lot of people don't want to do that with things. And, and you, know, you see it in, in basically in every community. People, like you said, you know, I'm a, I'm a Democrat. I'm a socialist. I'm, I'm gay. Uh, you see that in a lot. Of, I'm a feminist. I'm, I'm this. And it's like, oh, so it inoculates me from, uh imitating or, or perpetuating these toxic behaviors and it's like that's not how it works if you if you learn the stuff you do the work and you improve yourself yeah then then, then you're getting somewhere but simply assigning yourself the label do, doesn't mean doesn't inoculate yourself from the behaviors that are lot, oftentimes heavily ingrained i know one for me that's still lingering and i'm working on and i'm trying to get better on but i still screw up plenty is uh, my ableism language you know it's like i just didn't know i had to go out and I had to first get caught like, you know, have have see people get confronted for using it. And then I had to, you know, look into myself and where was it? And I didn't want to look that hard. And, you know, I was like, maybe if I actually Google something, I'll I'll learn something. Find out, find out there's a bunch of words that I've been using that could be struck or that are considered ableist and it's like, oh, wow, I didn't. I didn't know I didn't want to be ableist. I thought I wasn't because I was against it, but I hadn't done the work to actually figure out what it was and and how I might be doing it. And it wasn't until then that I started to realize you know, how much I was doing it.
0: <laughs> I mean, that kind of thing happens, right? Because language evolves and language, uh, you know, language evolves and language uh, to describe groups of people and oppressions that we didn't know necessarily uh, mm-hmm. that we just consider to be, again, natural. Uh, right. Eventually, become challenged, right? I mean, I guess my only thing, and, I, and it's important. One hundred percent, it's important. It's important to, it's important to, as we get older, as a society, and we move forward, to sort of develop new linguistic tools for understanding people's position and the various forms of structural oppression like that exist. My only, you know, my only critique of that is not a critique of like people who is not a critique in justification of like using slurs. Although I use slurs all the time, mostly racist <laughs> ones, definitely anti-Irish <laughs> ones because fuck the Irish, um, hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, but mostly, but mostly, it's just like I get worried about people. You know, reg- regardless of, again, this goes down to the idea of people trying to inoculate themselves from the idea of being bigots or the idea of possibly being racist by nature of like performances or group affiliation. Mm-hmm. It, I it, sometimes people get too too proud of the language tools that they have. They become too proud of their ability to. They become, too, they become too proud of their ability to describe problems that they don't bother actually worrying about their ability to fix it and those two are not mm-hmm. those two are not exactly the same and I, you know I've said it before I mean I it's, it's the most truth unfortunately there is no real like there is no real – like the ability to describe language like the the invention of new terms to describe oppressions a lot or or oppressed groups does not necessarily match up with the material mobility or benefit of those groups that you're describing. Mm-hmm. And you should not forget that. It's just like, the, you know, when we stopped calling black people Negroes and moved up to black, they didn't suddenly move up a socioeconomic class. It's like, right. the, essentially, like, that was just, like, that was a linguistic change, but it didn't necessarily reflect materially. Same with you know, same with the reduction of slurs. It doesn't necessarily you know, it's a good thing because you wanna make your you wanna make your spaces, you wanna make your movements accepting and open to all people, not and not at the expense of other people. But you should never confuse the, the you know, tools and language for goals and solutions. Because like that like that's the that's, that's the albatross of like of the not even the Democrats, I would say like a, of the centrists. It's like, you know, the idea that, okay, well language and symbols and tools and procedures are just as good or better than actual solutions or goals. And that's not to say the means justify the ends, right? That's not to say, okay, well, or rather, the ends justify the means, because that's a different argument. That's to say, like, you can like, procedure cannot be the end goal in and of itself. Like, language changes can't be the end goal in and of itself.
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, it's going to take – I mean, yeah, it takes deeper uh, uh, analysis of the structures and the oppression that various groups are facing and how that manifests both materially in their lives and then how materially – what kind of material impacts we can have uh, individually on those types of systems and so – You know, it's like one of the things about language is it's something that you can control. You can control what you say, more or less. I mean, uh, we all have uh, filter issues, I think, sometimes, but uh, it's something that's mostly (laughs) it's mostly in your control. And so, like, uh, having that, uh, I think, gives people that that control, that feeling of, you know, uh, of of the feeling of control that uh, go ahead.
0: Language is important, right? Because like ultimately it adds a reifying effect. And by reifying, because some people you be like that word, it's a good word. It means it gives sort of form and shape and legitimacy and structure to things that would otherwise be ethereal, which is largely the purpose of language to begin with, right? Without language, mm-hmm. you don't have the you, you, without language, your thoughts and feelings and affectations are formless, right? Like they don't they don't have any real coherence to them. So you know, the invention of language. The invention of language, even in its most primitive form, gives you the ability to give your thoughts more, you know, more form, more coherence, right? Not only for not only for other people, right? Not only so you can say, so I can communicate how I'm feeling to you, but also so that I can conceptualize how I am feeling for myself, Right. And having to communicate those feelings to you, I can learn more about my feelings. I can learn more about your feelings. I can learn more about language. I can learn more about stuff. Yeah, language is reductive in a sort of, uh, in some senses, because obviously there are, you know, infinite things you're feeling at any one time. You know, feelings specifically are just are mostly just combinations of core affectations like fear and arousal and all that other shit. You know, and like enjoy or whatever, whatever you know or like ecstasy, I should know what call a or pleasure right, is the right word for mm. it. It's like and when you put boundaries on them, you know, through language, they become culturally mediated and it's so all other like bull, also sort of social science bullshit. That's kind of interesting but not really helpful to us right now. But I will say it's like like it had, it has purposes. Like, like some people some people treat perform like some people treat performative like it's a bad word. Like it means it's it's, it's empty and symbolic and therefore it has no meaning. But that's not true. Right? You know, I think that mm-hmm. what people, when people say performative, what they mean now is they mean it means sh- that it's, they mean shallow, which is not what performative means. Performative just means that, like, it gains its meaning through performance, right? That it's something that you do through performance. Like, gender is performative, right? It, along with being a social construct, it's something that you do in the moment as opposed to something that you are, right? You know, you, you do gender, you, you know not like, it's, you do racism, <laughs> you're not a racist, right? Like, you, they, yeah. you, you like, you do you do racisms you're not a racist like you do blackness you're not black or rather you're black you being black is a result of you doing blackness. you performing blackness along with other biological characteristics that are more or less sort of associated with blackness just like third performance associated with blackness but you know those things have value like they they have value but they don't have necessarily as much value as like material changes
1: Mm -hmm.
0: or material factors depending
1: on you know, what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and it's like, and sometimes though, having the language is, is critical and being able to express, you know, what it is, you know, like uh, microaggressions are kind of an example of, you know, a, a way of articulating something that was happening that people couldn't like, weren't really grasping you know they weren't understanding that there's these things going on that are actually i mean microaggressions turned out to be not the word that we should have used but you know that there's these uh interactions between people that are harming people and uh there are some the the harmers the people that are causing the harm often are unaware of the harm uh, and that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll correct it when they become aware but uh the the hope is that becoming aware will at least uh give some sort of uh critical thought process towards the what they were doing and yeah go ahead
0: i mean i would only say the thing about microaggressions is that like i I don't know i don't know exactly what the origins of that term are i've always assumed it was a term to like sort of describe like symbolic oppression which is like language or symbolic violence like language and other sort of performative racism acts that aren't necessarily sort of like not necessarily like you know like not necessarily like, you know, like cops killing black people in the streets. Yeah, it's or, like, or like, like or church bombing or, like, or even like stuff like redlining or like mm-hmm. segregation, but just like you know, essentially it's symbolic violence and like someone someone saying mean words to you. Uh the problem with what, the problem with what happened with microaggressions is that they were never really people didn't really make the the attempt to explain how symbolic violence either indexes structural violence or reinforces structural violence. It was kind of like the people who were largely arguing, and I want to make like a strong man, the people who were largely arguing for, you know, the importance of microaggression were people for whom microaggressions were the only form of systemic racism or systemic bigotry that they were, they were actually exposed to. Right? Mm-hmm. It was like rich black people or well-off centrist black people arguing how, how bad it is to be called the N-word or how hard it is to not see black people on TV. It was just like if you're not going to actually connect that to larger issues of material deprivation and sort of like explain how that actually reinforces one another, no, you know, they're kind of just like it, it's, it's bougie oppression. Mm -hmm. like it's oppression for them like and they do connect right because that's how power works like some people look at power like it's a top-down structural thing thing but really it's a sort of a grassroots thing it's like you know essentially if if racism was not hegemonic if neoconservatism was not hegemonic if all the things were like weren't ingrained in us and to be common sense to varying degrees we couldn't like our society couldn't get away with it right no, like, there's a reason why right wing people are always so desperate to control kind of the levers of information. Why they complain about like liberal professors, and they complain about liberal media, and they complain about like liberal celebrities. It's because like, they understand the key to real power is the ability to sort of shape the hegemony. Despite the fact that, you know, you know they they have a very Gramscian notion of power, despite not being <laughs> socialist. Like to be so like the, they understand that without being able to shape those things, you can't get away with anything. It's like you like, you couldn't get away more or less with structural racism if people widespread did not at least at some to at some level believe that black people were inferior to white people. Like right. they might not you know at least implicitly because they wouldn't stand for it it's like, like i think that's like the misconception it's like okay like racism is being foisted on us by a minority of people who are morally and intellectually deficient but like the majority the rest of us are good people who don't believe those things it's like no no we all believe them to certain degrees because if we did not they it couldn't happen right it's like, it's like well, it simply wouldn't happen
1: well, it, 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 it it's one of the ways that I've seen it play out in a weird way is in basketball. I think I mentioned this to you before. Is you know, you look at the 1954 Lakers, and you can actually find them on YouTube too. You can see the game, the championship game. I don't like uh, sports. You know that. Be weird. <laughs> but they were, they were. It was a bunch of white guys who genuinely thought they were the best basketball players in the world. Like they, they were thoroughly convinced, and that it, you know that the system had not, you know. Lifted them above other people that could have been better and it, w- it had nothing to do with that. They were just they practiced hard. They worked hard. They were the best and they earned it. That That's what it was. And, and then you go to the 2000 Lakers and there's I think maybe the championship Lakers. and There's maybe one white guy on the team. And it's like that that reflects that when you coach. <laughs> It's like one seven foot dude from Eastern Europe basically. Yeah. <laughs> and so like that that's how it broke down and it's like but that also reflects on our society. It's like because while there there may be like, you know, there's a lot of reasons why the NBA changed the complexion of the players that as it did and why it took so long and why the ownership is still white. But uh uh like what what we see now, I think Brandon brings up an interesting point. Is if we actually understood what it meant, we wouldn't allow it. Like if we understood, if we understood why the NBA was so disproportionately black, it was it was because of the socioeconomic conditions that leads them leads uh, such a large proportion of black people into the belief that you know a dedication of a lifetime to basketball is uh you know the Amer is an American dream that they can live, and it's like. But there's not that many white kids having that dream. Why, why are there so few, so many less white kids having that dream or, uh, you know, various kids from all sorts of different ethnic backgrounds and stuff is like, really, the NBA should be reflective of uh, any other group. And, but it's not, I think, largely in part because of uh, the types of systematic uh, oppressions that we have manifesting in a different way. Instead of having an all white team, we're having a predominantly black team because of the reasons I mentioned.
0: Well, I mean, I'm just gonna say like you wanted to talk about the the Trump speech, but it was actually I mean it, we've already fucking diverged off that like 20 minutes ago because it was kind of <laughs> just it, it was kind of like it was garbage. It was, I mean, it was, it was really short. Sure it was really boring. Like right? he's not a good he's not a good speaker. No, no. like he simply is not a good speaker.
1: I mean, he's more entertaining when he's not reading. I mean, it's hard oh, yeah, to follow; it's jumbled in, in in lots of nonsense. But it is more entertaining. That's un, undeniable.
0: I like Trump's earlier work. Um, when it was more stream <laughs> of conscious, a little bit raw, raw You know, his B sides. <laughs> this new Trump. You know, uh, his late period is not. It's not all that. He's uh, to it's, too, that's, it's too much.
1: too much Brooklyn. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. Oh, oh. yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 Andorra,
2: Andorra, Andorra I don't really fuck with no brand names Gucci gang, Louis gang, Fendi gang, Dolce gang Sachi gang, Prada gang, lot of gangs I don't really fuck with no brand names Uh i about to go on a rampage, oh. They don't wanna see me let the chopper bang, yeah. Get this bitch jumping like Shobbin' Rank, oh. What's a little pump to a rocket flame, yeah. Turn your pink dreads in the pocket chain, yeah. All you new rappers don't be talking about shit except doing drugs. Wonder how you got a name, yeah. sipping lean, take a E, eat, set, purple drinks, and everything sound the same, fuck. Bunch of drug addicts in the house of pain, whoop. Hope you niggas suffer till you pop a vein, yeah. This shit made your mother wanna ovulate, yeah. This shit make a duckers wanna stop a train, who's spending Louis Proud of Back when I was broke, no one know me. I couldn't afford it, and now that I got the money, I don't even want this shit, cause it ain't for me I always been myself, you don't know me Yeah, I was so depressed, I was lonely The man on the horse, all I had was Ralph Lauren Then I went inside a deal and bought a pony yeah, I'm taking it back and then I'm smacking you bitches and laughing And I'm killing them, hacking and I'm sending your body right back to them You wonder what's happening, I'm flipping new syllables, acronyms I guess I'm a practicing, You fuckers is a fucking embarrassing You ain't gonna be happy when I'm on top and I'm gonna be popping All you gotta be dropping like birds dropping all on your conscience All you niggas are watching, I'm spitting, slapping all on your coffin i repeat, you lost and you fucking sleeping, you pillow talking And you dream all day, that's per year All your whole niggas in your purse here I'm your favorite rapper's worst fear Raised in the mud, crying dirt tears just a bunch of kids in a high chair. Couldn't get a buzz even if you had light here. Wouldn't get no love even if your heart's right here. Niggas got guns, so nobody want to fight fair. No, hit them with the Ric Flair and a suplex. I ain't never been scared, bitch, you're ruthless. Raised by the ghetto, know some games that I Split them right down the middle like a fucking duplex. Bringing nigga toes, make them do the two-step. Crib full of hoes. Now I feel like you have got a bad stripper, bitch. All we do is have sex. And she loves sucking dicks, so I call her loose neck. Making a panic with my shit, and I'm flipping the banisters. I'm ready to handle and the handle this middle and crushing the and vanishing. I hit him and same i in the walls, and I got him enchanting in my fucking hands, and I'm holding him and bangin' the him him in the ambulance. They dying and they bleeding, they travelin'. I'm really sick, and I got 'em stiff as a fucking mannequin. I paint a picture, but of vision. All on my cellophane. I got swinging, and on my dick and grabbing my pants again. I'm Uno, three tres, cuatro, single. single. I ain't Spanish but I know the lingo, lingo. Atlantic told me that my flow on hundred But my album ain't coming unless I got a fucking single, single. Well I don't give a fuck about no head record I'ma just remix, y'all shit and get big off it I'ma just murder every motherfucking beat While I'm dreaming get paid in my motherfucking sleep Goddamn! Gucci gang, Louis gang, Fendi gang, Dolce gang Sachi gang, Prada gang, lot of I don't really fuck with no brand names Join about to go on a rampage, ooh. They don't wanna see me let the chopper bang, Whoa. Get this bitch jumpin' like shopper rank, yeah. What's a little pump to a rocket flying? Woo. Gucci game, fanny game, Prada game, yeah. All you new rappers don't talk about shit except doing drugs. Wonder how you got a name, huh? Sibylene, take a E, prack set, purple drinks, Xanax, everything sound the same fuck. Bunch of drug addicts in the house of pain. And all you niggas suffer till you pop a van, huh? Gucci game, fanny game, Prada game, woo. I don't really fuck with no brand names, yeah.